50th, that's right, 5-0, 50th episode of The Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu, and I am your host, and I am so, so grateful to be able to record this. Uh, episode 50 is a, is a huge milestone, uh, for me at least, and it's exciting, and I'm excited to have this particular conversation uh, as the 50th episode with uh, the guest that we will have this uh, for this episode, and that is Dr. Chris Perdian. Chris, how's it going today? Very good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. Uh, I'm excited for this conversation, and um, I know typically outside of the outside of the hospital, you don't like to be referred to as doctor, but considering the topic that we have at hand today, uh, it is very appropriate to kind of... Uh, talk about that part of your life because you have direct exposure to to some of the things that we're going to discuss today. So I'm excited for that. Uh, But before we get into that, uh, for those listeners out there who don't know you, uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? So my name is uh, Chris. My nickname is Chris. Actually, my first name is Christian uh, Prunian, and I'm a physician. Uh, I went to medical school at UC San Francisco. I graduated and specialized in anesthesiology. Uh, I'm also an ordained elder uh, in a Romanian church, a Bethel Romanian church in uh, Orange County. And um, the subject of abortion, uh, particularly abortion influencing the Christian church, has been a huge interest to me. And thank you for for taking up the time on your podcast to address the issues. Um, And uh, we are ready to go. Yeah, yeah, and I'm excited. And before we we jump into the this topic of abortion, which I'm super excited to talk about because, um, unfortunately, it is a controversial topic. 20 years ago, it wouldn't have been uh, within the Christian church. Uh, I'm excited to talk about that. Before we get into that, I do want to make a couple of announcements for you listeners out there. Um, as you know, uh, you can follow us on our Instagram for any and all updates, which is um, at the Potter's House. Uh, you can f- stream this uh, podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you can find podcasts. And if you do have an iPhone, if you do listen to Apple Podcasts, please go to that, uh, scroll down, tap the stars. It really helps with the exposure of the show. And if you leave a written review, um, basically I'll read it out loud on the episode as well. And it also helps just with the whole algorithm that iTunes has. So thank you guys who have done that so far. Um, also the website, which is still being built and 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 progressing as we speak, uh, which is thepottershouse.com. And last but not least, as I've mentioned in, I think, the last episode uh, that we did, uh, we have, for those of you who have seen on Instagram, we do have a New Year's conference coming up uh, this New Year's, 2021 and 2022, um, December 31st to January 2nd, here in Southern California, hosted by our home church here, Bethel. And uh, if you guys want more information on that, follow us on our Instagram account that is dedicated to this event, which is at New Year's OC, and you can find all the information needed for that. And uh, it'd be exciting to to connect with you and to see you there, and uh, God will work in an amazing way. So praise God for that. Uh, So yeah, that's pretty much what we got for for announcements today, just the same old, same old. But um, getting to this topic of abortion... um, we one thing you told me when I when I approached you about this uh, subject um, is that uh, like 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 kind of said what what I said earlier this 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 topic this episode is not to be specifically directed to non believers or people who who celebrate abortion right. or or the advocates for 
Planned Parenthood. This is not for them because they're blinded by, by their sin. They're blinded by their sinful states, and they're not going to accept any of this unless the Holy Spirit intervenes. Um, but this is basically, you know, on a biblical account, a uh, an conversation that we're going to have within the church because we see a lot of people today kind of going back and forth and kind of settling in this gray area when it comes to moral issues, one of which being abortion and uh, yes, all that stuff. So, uh, how, how, how are we going to start this off today? Uh, what's, what do you want to What do you want to mention, kind of at the beginning, to kind of kick things off? So it used to be that, you know, a number of years ago, maybe 15, 30 years ago, it used to be that if you were an evangelical Christian um, or a Catholic Christian, um, it used to be that you were told that abortion was bad, it was immoral, and pro-life is the position that you need to be in. And that was pretty much it, not many questions asked. Uh, that has changed a little bit in the last, I would say, 15 to 30 years. And we are seeing a very troubling trend in both the Catholic and the evangelical churches. Um, we're at a situation now where the Catholic Church, for instance, 50% uh, of the people asked are saying that they are pro-choice. Um, it doesn't matter that every single pope in recent memory has been on record saying that they are pro-life, that life comes from God, that the baby in the womb is a separate life and it should be respected as a life. Um, it seems like that message is not really catching on. In fact, it's slipping in the Catholic Church. In the Evangelical Church, we're seeing a similar trend. Uh, for example, recent, uh, not very recent, but you know, about five years ago, 2016, Gallup study is and Pew Research Center studies are showing, actually this is from 2021, Pew Research Center study is showing that among white evangelicals, 77% believe that abortion should be illegal, while the 23%, they believe that abortion should be legal, and they take a pro-choice position. They take a position of neutrality when it comes to this issue. So for us, the question is, is a position of neutrality when it comes to this issue acceptable? Is it biblical? Can one justify it biblically? The answer, of course, is no. But this is the trend that's happening in the evangelical church. So this is a problem. Um, you know, in, in the Catholic church, it's way worse. I mean, they're looking at 50-50 right now. Um, in fact, there was a controversy earlier uh, this year. I don't know if you read about it. But a large um, a large body of Catholic bishops uh, got together and they made they made a statement saying that the US president Joe Biden should be should not be given communion mm -hmm. because he holds a pro-choice position which automatically in their mind correctly is an anti-life position uh, you know so so it is somewhat controversial even within the Catholic Church. So that is our problem. This is a problem that I would like to address today. It's, it's the issue that I addressed in my master's thesis when I graduated from uh, from the seminary, Sauskiptura College Seminary. And the question is this. How do we target these Christians who are pro-choice? How do we essentially it requires a conversion of the mind. How do we convert our mind from the pro-choice position 
to the pro-life position. Mm-hmm. One could go even further and say, you know, th- these people may need actual conversion to the true faith. Yeah. If on this particular issue they are wobbly and, and they take a position of neutrality, the question is, you know, underlying that, what is their faith position? Are they truly Christians? Are they truly converted? Now, nobody knows the answer to that question. The Holy Spirit knows the answer to that question. It could be that they're uninformed. It could be that they're naive. It could be that they're fresh in the faith. You know, that kind of thing. So the question to be asked is, how do we approach Christians who are wobbly on abortion, who are pro-choice, who take a position of neutrality, who say, well, it's legal, therefore let's not interfere in whatever people do out there. I do have a question because you're mentioning this this concept of neutrality. Um, and a lot of people, what, I mean, what the pro-choice people claim, they claim a stance of neutrality re- regardless if they're in the church or not on paper. But as soon as you infringe upon their so-called rights and you try to defund Planned Parenthood or pass these laws, like, for example, that uh, Texas just passed not too long ago, um, they get riled up immediately. So it it almost seems as if, okay, you got, you're saying that this is you're, you're you're coming from a a stance of neutrality, but it looks like you actually have a position on this and you stand strongly on this. Um, why do you think? Uh, do you think more people are kind of leaning towards the actual like kind of what I just explained where they're they, they're pro-choice and they stand by it and they they're not going to budge? Or do you think a lot of the and I'm, I'm talking about the Christians here? Or do you think a lot of them are just more passive about it or they're just they're just they don't want to put a position because they don't want to they don't want to get in trouble so you clearly have to differentiate between between the population that you're addressing the audience when it comes to like non-christians when it comes to the whole country clearly the country is divided on the issue and the division is only happening because of the church it's happening because christians are standing up for this uh but generally speaking half of americans are are very much pro-choice. Maybe another like 10, 20% are sort of pro-choice, kind of maybe leaning life. And then you've got the Christians out there who are probably, you know, 40%, 30% or so, you know, who are pretty firmly pro-life, or at least they are saying that. Um, now, when it comes to Christians who, who are pro-choice, um, I would like to think that many are not thinking right about this. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that maybe they're not into the word. They're not analyzing biblical texts very carefully. Um, they're uh, brainwashed in the media, mm-hmm. social media, education, um, you know, various other you know educational opportunities they have, uh, and so they haven't thought about it. That's what I would like to think that is happening. Uh, and then there are some. There are some Christians in some denominations. I'll give you some examples. Uh, Episcopalians, United Methodists, um, certain Presbyterians, not the conservatives, but more the liberal ones, like the PCUSA. There are some Lutheran denominations like uh, Evangelical Lutherans of America. Uh, it's called ELCA. So those particular denominations, which are really dying churches, their memberships just drop, drop every year. Um, that's where the liberal Christians are, and, and they tend to be the pro-choicers and it kind of goes along with some of the other moral things that we consider something like you know gay marriage homosexuality they always see Marcus to fall on the wrong side of the Bible when it comes to those things Mm -hmm. you know 
Uh, and abortion is not an exception. They fall on the wrong side of that as well, in many cases, not all, but in many cases. Uh, so, so really, it, it's a question, again, I don't want to question anyone's salvation uh, or anything like that, but you do start to think about, is this person or are these Christians really converted to the faith? And I would like to think that maybe uh, many of them are just not thinking right about it, and, and, and they just haven't gotten into the Word and, and get a clear understanding of the issue. So you think, obviously we're not going to, like you said, we're not going to question people's salvation, but um, is it possible to be transformed, redeemed, all of that, and then be completely ignorant to such a moral issue just because you're, you're maybe not as well versed in Scripture? You think that's a that's a high probability? Because for me, I would I would I would think you know I can't really relate because I I never supported this, but I would think one, once a person is saved and is transformed and and born again, I would think that there'd be a conviction from the Holy Spirit when it comes to moral issues like that, from either homosexuality, abortion, all of these different things. Once you start reading the Bible, and once you see how God presents Himself, okay. Uh, as the God of life. I came to give you life and to give it abundantly. Okay, Jesus Christ said. Uh, Peter calls him the author of life in Acts chapter 3. Uh, it's just, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. I mean, these kind of things, once you start reading and you realize the depth of life, you, we, have, we serve the God of life, it's impossible to be pro-choice or to be, even worse, anti-life. You know, so I'm thinking that perhaps, you know, I'll give the benefit of the doubt to the fresh, brand new Christian, okay, who came out of the world and who doesn't quite get it yet, okay, who's being convicted of certain things, and it's a process, but it's got to be a short process, mm -hmm. okay, it's got to be a short time frame before they come to realize, whoa, wait a minute, you know, we're literally killing, you know, life in the womb, you know, one analogy I like to make is, hey, Suppose, suppose you know, the end of the world is, you know, a long time away. 500 years from now, if this world still exists, okay, we're going to look back at history. Secular history is going to look back and judge, you know, these abortions, okay. Technology will have been so advanced by then. And we're going to look back and say, man, look at what these people in the 20th century were doing, 21st century. They were like, literally like, you know, killing their unborn, mm -hmm. you know pretty sick stuff yeah you know if you if, if you want to look at it that way um, and so 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 history will judge this movement okay this anti-life movement this abortion movement um, and it's just a matter of time before before secular society is gonna come up with a method or, or some some way to to avoid abortions because it's such a gory such an unholy thing to do you know so you posed the question a few minutes ago, how do we, how do we get people from this state, this stance of neutrality into a pro-life situation if they're maybe, let's say, a, a immature Christian, maybe like a, a child in the faith? Uh, what are some steps that we can take to clearly explain, uh, obviously based on what the Bible says, clearly explain why we as Christians can't be loose on this subject, but we have to be firm on a on a pro-life stance. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you went to church and you sat there and you heard some solid teaching on abortion from the pulpit? Have you ever heard a sermon on abortion from the pulpit? Probably not in my mem recent memory, so, no. 
So maybe you've heard a preacher mention abortion, like, you know, briefly, mm -hmm. and say, man, abortion is bad, and the reason is because of this verse over here. And 10 seconds later, that's it. Okay, so, so we don't have healthy, consistent teaching on the issue from the pulpit. Uh, it is because, I mean, we attend Romanian evangelical churches, and everybody is pro-life, I think. But in the American evangelical church, not everyone is pro-life, okay? Mm -hmm. And you've got, you've got pastors who are perhaps assuming that everyone is pro-life, when that is not the case. Uh, and if mentions of abortions are, 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 are if abortions being mentioned from the pulpit, it is only brief, it is superficial, okay? And consistent teaching is not being done mm -hmm. on Sundays from the pulpit. So what I propose is that we actually make it a point to teach apologetics in general from the pulpit. And among apologetics, a separate field within apologetics is presuppositional apologetics on abortion. Now, what does that mean? Presuppositional means is that you take a premise um, to start off with and you say, God is the God of life. Therefore, Bible supports life. Therefore, we assume a position of life. So whenever we talk about abortion, we presuppose that life is the way to go, that the pro-life position is the correct position. And that is how you approach and you teach. You don't teach from a position of neutrality. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, okay, let's examine you know, the good things about having an abortion and the good things about not having an abortion. No, you don't take that middle position. Mm -hmm. You come in strong on the pro-life front. And you basically present everything from that point of view. Because that's how, that's how the Bible teaches apologetics. The Bible assumes from the start that God exists. It doesn't try to convince you that God exists. Try to find a, a verse in the Bible that where the writer tries to convince you that there is a God. No, no. It's, he's telling you, hey, listen, th there is a God. Here he is. And like in Hebrews says that you must believe that he exists and he rewards people, okay? Mm -hmm. So 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 that that is that permeates that presuppositional approach permeates the Bible. That's how we gotta do it from the pulpit. You tell the church, okay, this is the position, this is the pro-life position is the correct position. And then you bring evidence. So how would you approach teaching these Christians over and over and over again to essentially brainwash them? Okay? into believing that what you're saying is true. So, if those Christians take the Bible at, at its word, if they say that the Bible is, if they believe that the Bible is the Word of God, if they believe that the Bible is inspired, that it is inerrant, that is uh, good to give you advice for this life and to be saved, which every Christian should believe that. If they believe that, then you come with the Word of God at them. Okay? And you present solid evidence for the pro-life position. For, for example, the number one thing that you must present from the pulpit on Sundays in sermons is that abortion is the termination of life in the womb. And you actually have to say those words. Okay? You actually have to present that idea to them. Okay, and um, you present scientific frameworks. You present theological frameworks. We can start off with some theological points here that I can I can just tell you. Um, 
You go with verses. You can read John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. It says that in the beginning was God. Okay? And it says that in Him was life. The author of life, Acts chapter 3, verse 15. You look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says that God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 7, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, the exclusive right to life is given by God. Mm-hmm. So, so, so this, this permeates the idea that Christians are pro-life. They are pro this concept that God gives life. The Bible says things like, you shall not murder. You should not take life away. So because God is the originator of life, we believe that life begins at conception. Yeah. Once you have a zygote, once you have a sperm and an egg come together and they form a zygote, now you have a cell, now with 23 chromosomes, if you have a cell with 46 chromosomes, you've got the package for a complete human being there, okay? We believe that that is life. There's a very powerful verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 5, it says, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So we see that once you have a being growing in the womb, a baby, and we've got the Ecclesiastes saying here, you don't know how the spirit comes to this entity. I mean, we're, 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 we're sort of a Trinitarian a Trinitarian being, if we think of God as a trinity. We've got a soul, we've got a mind, we've got a body. Okay? So now you have a specific mention in the Bible of a being, a small clump of cells, you could say. That's what seculars like to call it, clump of cells. And now the Bible refers to this particular clump of cells as having the spirit coming to the bones in the womb. You know? Uh, and says, you do not know the work of God who makes everything. You have no idea how this happens. We believe it. We don't know how it happens. But we know that a soul and a spirit takes place inside this little body. Even though he's not conscious yet. He's not born yet. But he's a living, breathing human being. Well, you can say, well, how is he breathing? Well, the mom does the breathing for him through mm-hmm. the placenta. Okay. So anybody that tells you that a baby is not breathing, that's just wrong. Cellular respiration takes place from day one. Okay, so, so, so we start with the idea that abortion removes a life, takes a life. And it is a very, very powerful, very powerful thing. You've got, I mean, there's so much scripture you get. Psalm 139, you know. For you form my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. You can read that whole psalm about, about God's presence everywhere. And then God's presence would per, in particular to that person being spoken to. It doesn't matter if they're inside their mom's womb. You know, God watches them and God knows them. Um... A live status in the womb is hard for um, some unbelievers to grasp 
due to their ignorance of ignorance of science as well. So we've looked at some of the scripture that you know God is the God of life, God gives life, God creates man. But there's a lot of scientific um, evidence that this human being or this what they call a clump of cells is actually alive. Uh, for instance, the secular will come to you and will say, like, uh, this is a quote, it is uncertain when human life begins. That's a religious question that cannot be answered by science. The answer to that is no, that's wrong. Science can answer that question. Let me give you some quotes. But these are by famous, famous embryologists. Embryologists are people who are biologists who study the development of um, from day one, from the, the zygote all the way through all the embryological development to the full-grown baby. Um, I'll give you some examples here. Here's a quote. It is the penetration of the ovum by the spermatozoan and the resulting mingling of the nuclear material each brings to the union that constitutes the culmination of the process of fertilization and marks the initiation of life of a new individual. The famous embryologist Bradley Patton writes this. Another embryologist writes, the cell results from fertilization of oenolocyte by a sperm and is the beginning of a human being. And I can tell you many of these uh, quotes I have written here in my thesis. Um, and it is, it is important, it is important for people to realize that as the baby develops and as organs grow, very minute details are present in the form of the baby. For instance, fingerprints, full organ function. Um, you know, at 18 days after conception, you've got the heart forming and the eyes starting to develop. At 21 days, not only is the heart beating, but it's beginning to pump blood. I mean, that's, that's 21 days after conception. Um, you know, by 30 days, the size of the baby is 10,000 times bigger than at day one. It's, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, by 40 days, a baby's brain waves can be recorded. By 42 days, a skeleton is formed and the baby begins to control the movements of organs and muscles and, 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 and bones. And they begin to respond now reflexively to stimuli, which makes them possibly as early as that capable of feeling pain. By nine weeks, a child will bend their fingers around an object if they put it in their hand. Fingernails are forming. Uh, they begin to suck their tongue. By nine weeks, the baby has already a, uh, uh, the ability to turn, to move. Uh, by 11 weeks, the baby urinates. By 12 weeks, the baby is kicking, turning his feet, curling, uh, making a fist, moving the thumbs, bending the wrists. And all this happens in the first trimester, the first three months of life, where abortion is most likely to occur. So... I've just given you a lot of scientific information, maybe overwhelming for the audience. But all these things point to a, not a clump of cells, not a random organization of organs, but actually a human being who's beginning to function, 
And even though he's dependent on his mom or her mom, they're an independent life. Yes, they are dependent to receive oxygen and nutrients, but they're an independent organism. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that's why we say that this is truly life in the womb. And it is a theological disaster and a scientific disaster to deny that. Yeah. To say that this is not life. So so theologically speaking, because we, we like you're saying, the verses that you provided and the scriptures that you provided that support the pro-life um, stance, from what I've heard recently um, from the pro-choice or the neutral stance from, from their perspective, their argument is – and I mean, this is this is 100% blasphemy and heresy to us. But a lot of people believe this lie. But they basically use and um, abuse the the concept of freedom in Christ to basically make that decision for themselves. The fact that they have the freedom in Christ. Oh, Christ made me free. Now I can do whatever I want with 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 the situation. How would you uh, combat that that stance and that statement? I would take that and I would compare that to what the blasphemous unbeliever says. Here's what the blasphemous unbeliever says. Okay, fine. It's a life in the womb. So what? Mm -hmm. So what? I want to kill it. It's a problem for me. I don't have the money. I don't have the million dollars to raise this kid from day one to age 18. Okay? I don't have money. To pay for their education. I don't want them to be a burden on me. I want to kill it. Fine. It's life. No problem. That's how I would compare that. That's how... It's, it's the same analogy. Yeah. It's, the, the, they're basically saying, okay, uh, whatever. Okay, that's that's how I view it. And, um, and, 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 and to bring the idea of freedom in Christ in, it, it's, just, it's just so unbiblical. Because freedom in Christ is freedom from sin. Yeah. It is not freedom to sin. Yeah, and it's slavery to righteousness. Exactly. Romans 6. So, so so now you're saying you're a slave to the secular system, to the secular media, to the secular education system that tells you that if you have an abortion that's good, it'll be easier for you. You don't have to care about a baby. Care about a baby, you know? So that's sort of how I, how I look at this. Mhm. And that's and that's and that's interesting because like you said, they're admitting basically to the fact that it is murder, but they're justifying that murder. So, and we've seen this happen in and scripture. They're saying it's legal. Yeah, and they're it's like, saying hey, it's legal. Buddy, yeah. It's legal, okay? It's legal for me to kill my baby. Yes, I know it's a life. It's legal. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Okay. Now that is the that is the unholy secular view, and that's where we target Christians who are pro-choice, and we say, hey, listen, because it is a life, okay? You're not like those people out there, okay? You're not like the unbelievers. Now you are a believer, and because it is a life, you cannot kill this life. Mm-hmm. Okay, D- this is the heart of apologetics when it comes to the issue of life. Now we've established that the first point in apologetics is to convince convince the Christian that it is that abortion is a termination of life in the womb. The second approach. This is a two prong approach here. The second approach is that. You must convince now from the pulpit, you've got to preach, that abortion violates the personhood of the baby. So now you've got life on one hand, and now you've got a person on the other hand. 
When you're talking about a person, you're, you're talking about a soul at this point. You're talking about a body, mind, soul, spirit. You've, you've got a Trinitarian being here that you are going to murder, that you are going to violate. And in order to do that, this is where the Bible really helps you. It really helps you. You don't have to get scientific. You can get philosophical if you want. But man, you've got theolo a theological wealth of information here. Uh, to present how a baby is actually a person. I would like to go through some of them. Um, um, and basically, there are several cases in the Bible that demonstrate the personhood of the baby. These young Christians who, who are pro-choice, they need to hear this. First case is the case of John the Baptist. Okay, John the Baptist, um, I'll read the passage from, uh, from Luke 1 verse 41 it says and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me for behold when the sound of your greeting came to my ears the baby in my womb leapt for joy so Elizabeth is inspired by the Holy Spirit to call the child in the sixth month of pregnancy a certain Greek term, brepos, which is translated as baby or infant. The, the word is used in many instances in the New Testament to refer to children, um, including baby Jesus in the manger. And we see here that, it, that she says that the baby left, leapt for joy inside her womb. This is John the Baptist now, inside her womb. It's documented that the developing baby can hear and even recognize his mother's voice, uh, which can have an exciting effect or a calming effect. So obviously, when Elizabeth was, was joyful that she saw Mary, the baby left for joy. I mean, it's, it's it, you know, it's like, it's and, and she attributes it to the uh, work of the Holy Spirit to basically, to basically leap for joy. This is just evidence that the baby is a person. Now we have an interesting case in the Old Testament, Jacob and Esau. Interesting story there, when the two are still babies in the womb, and their mom, Rebecca, is, is a little bit perplexed. And in Genesis 25, verse 22, it says, The children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? Why do I feel like these two children are struggling inside of me? So what does she do? So she goes and she inquires of the Lord, right? So it says, and she went and she inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples within you shall be divided. The one shall be struggling at the other. And the older shall serve the younger. We've got here the plural word, banim for sons or children. I mean, these are children. These are not clumped of cells, first of all, being used here. And the inspired author, who we believe is Moses, calls them children, even though they're unborn. Now here the Lord himself makes this proclamation, illustrating that there are two distinct persons in here. Not only two distinct persons, but two distinct nations. So you've got persons, families, nations. The Lord doesn't view them as two clump of cells. He views them as two persons. 
And we know that the kids are born, they grow up, and they become two different nations. And forever, as long as the two nations, Israel and Edom, existed, they were enemies. Mm -hmm. They always fought each other. And Edom eventually went extinct, and Israel remained. But they were always enemies. We have another interesting situation and this is where I took some liberty myself and created a little bit of theology. Some people may agree with me, some may disagree. On a very um, obscure passage in Revelation chapter 7. This is, the, this is the chapter that talks about the great multitude that no one could number. This is in seven, Revelation 7, uh, starting with verse 9, where it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, and so forth. And they give glory to God. The thing to focus on here is, it says, from all tribes, all peoples, all languages. Okay? And they, th this leads to a conundrum here. Um, there are many tribes, many families, many nations uh, who existed on this earth who never had revelation, who never received the Word of God, who never received the Bible, okay, who did not have the Mosaic Law. And I'll give you some examples. Um, there are uh, civilizations discovered in the Americas um, who never heard of Jesus Christ. And I can give you the names of them. I have them written down here. But these were really, really savage people. For instance, the Olmec civilization uh, did not have any contact with uh, Moses, with the Mosaic Law, with uh, Israel's Law, with any biblical authors. It started on the Mexican Atlantic coast just after Israel received the law from Moses. And it disappeared 800 years later. So, you do not have any sort of contact with Asian or African or Middle Eastern civilizations. These people, how they came to be, it's controversial. How they came across the ocean through the northern side of the Atlantic and up in the Mexican um, territory. There's a lot of controversy there. But the bottom line is, these people lived and died and disappeared without ever having contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ or with the Mosaic Law or with revelation from God through his word. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now, why would John, in Revelation, come and tell us that every tribe, every language, every nation will have representatives who are worshipers of God in heaven? Can you think of, an, of a way? I cannot, no. I'm, I'm curious to hear what, what, your, what your stance and understanding okay. is on this. So my thinking on this is that the only way that this could happen is if God redeems those babies who are born, who are died, who, who die even before they're born, mm -hmm. as in being aborted, or little children who die before uh, they sort of came to age to understand the difference between right and wrong. Um, is this a biblical, you know, is there a biblical proof tax for this? No, there is not. Okay? But, in his overwhelming grace, I believe, 
that this is one way that God can save people. Okay? A baby who is murdered during abortion will be saved. Mm-hmm. There will be enough grace in God's grace to be extended to him or to her. And this is further evidence that we are talking about persons. We're talking about people here. This is the only way. There's no other, in my mind, possible way that someone could be saved uh, from such a civilization that has no contact with God. Because certainly the Mormons are wrong. Okay, The Mormons believe that Jesus Christ, okay, after he resurrected and he went to heaven, came back into the Americas. Okay, mm-hmm. And he evangelized the Americas. Okay, that's that's what they believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's wrong. Uh, so the only other way for tribal representation before God is for God to redeem these unborn babies who die or who are miscarried, or perhaps even infants who die or children who die uh, without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, the interesting point to this is that even through such a morbid and an evil act uh god's glory is still shown if 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 this if this uh you know theory i mean obviously we know i mean if the if this theory is true like from every single nation and and uh god redeeming those who are unborn who died and all this i mean god's glory is still shown through that even though the the mankind the sinful mankind is trying to do something evil uh in, in accordance to their flesh and to sin and it's amazing to see that just like from a rape, right? Mm-hmm. You have a new life coming, a life that can be redeemed by God, okay? Become an instrument for God. But let me tell you, there is one more argument for the personhood of the baby, and this is by far the most powerful. I, I left it to the end, okay? Mm-hmm. The most powerful argument that can be presented to a Christian, okay, to make him go from pro-choice to pro-life, and that is the incarnation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, into the person of Jesus Christ. We call that a hypostatic union, when the divine comes into human flesh and becomes one. You have a dual nature being here, the unique Son of God, who is 100% man and 100% God. And basically, the verse there says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. Now, Marcus, let me ask you this. Is there any time or any point in time from the moment that the Holy Spirit comes into Mary and Jesus Christ takes form, is there any point in time when He is not the Son of God? Nope. No. Why? Because it was the work of the Holy Spirit. He's a clump of cells, man. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. There is no time that Jesus Christ, even when he was a baby, when he couldn't, when he had to wear diapers, okay, when he had to be fed and be taken care of, when he was dependent on his mom's breathing and circulation, right? There is no point in time when Jesus Christ was not the Son of God. Through the mysterious power of the Holy Spirit, the Son of God became incarnated into the body of Mary, into this zygote, or into this cellular organism that eventually grows into a full-grown baby, 
and then he is born and he grows and the Bible says that he grows in stature and knowledge and wisdom and he is a joy for his parents and so forth. There is no point in time at which he is not the son of God. So he is the unique person, son of God, uh, the unique hypostatic union in this universe who will never be replicated again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as as the Son of God continuously until he dies, he resurrects, and he ascends to heaven. He was, he is, and he forever will be. Amen. The most powerful argument for the personhood of a baby inside the womb. <laughs> Amen. That's that's wonderful. That's great. And uh, I, I hate the fact that you know we need to cut this episode short because this is the one episode that we can go on for such a long time unpacking what, what Scripture has, what science has, and how, how we can really explain that pro-life. You, you, you cannot have a, a weak stance on, on being pro-life. You have to argue that every single, every single zygote, every single baby, every single clump of cells, as they like to call it, is ordained and predestined by God to be born. That's it's under His plan, under His sovereign will for for us, for us, every one of us to be here. Uh, but like I said, we do have church starting in about five minutes. So, Chris, thank you so much for for uh, for being here. It's I really pleasure. appreciate it. Maybe we'll do part two sometimes. Yes, definitely part two, part two uh, for uh, some time in the near future. So. Uh, just a quick little send off for for those of you guys listening out there. Um, I'm sure you were graced. I don't know if, depending on my editing skills, you might be able to hear the our symphonic band in the background. Uh, but we do have church coming up, so I'll keep it quick. Uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Uh, Instagram we have uh, at the Potter's House, uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify. Leave a review, tap the stars, and then um, website. You guys know. And then last but not least, the conference we have that coming up. Uh, this New Year's weekend. Uh, stay tuned for that and follow the Instagram account out at New Year's OC for more information regarding that. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time and uh, we hope you have a blessed day.